If you know me, you know I love our Anglican tradition. But there is a challenge if you're a preacher in this tradition because the theme and scripture have always been selected in advance. So you hope you get the right Sunday sometime. And that's our calendar and our lectionary. So on Maundy Thursday, sometimes people think, as a preacher, your ship has come in. Because it appears we have two different themes we could choose from. We could choose the institution of the Lord's Supper, or we could choose Jesus washing his apostles' feet. But actually, those two cannot be separated. And truly understanding what that connection is can forever change how we receive Holy Communion and how we view the church. So what is that connection? Well, first of all, what is Holy Communion? As Anglicans, we love to look directly to Scripture. And St. Paul tells us about it in 1 Corinthians 10. The fundamental theology, what does it all mean, of the Eucharist is found there in verses 16 and 17. It says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Do you notice there are two very separate truths, profound truths that Paul tells us here? The first one is, in Holy Communion, we truly receive the body and blood of Christ. The first part of the verse, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? We truly receive the Lord in the bread and wine. But Paul doesn't stop there. Paul also tells us that when we participate in the body and blood of Christ, that that participation actually transforms us into the body of Christ. Notice what he says. He says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Notice the because. Because we all partake, God does something. He transforms us by that partaking into the one body. Now, most of us think of Holy Communion as a very personal moment with the Lord, and so it is. It's very personal, very private. But it's probably properly understood the single moment where we are most deeply in community. But tonight, let's focus on the second element, that Holy Communion actually transforms us into the body of Christ. And this is a doctrine that we actually, uh, we actually profess in the Apostles' Creed. It sometimes surprises people. It's called, I believe, in the communion of saints. It's the doctrine of the communion of saints. Sometimes comes as a surprise. So let's look into it. What do we mean by the communion of saints? Well, we all know in the New Testament, they refer to Christians as saints. Now, a saint is simply holy. And what made something holy was set apart for God, special, sacred to the Lord. That's what made something holy. So Christians, all of us who have actually been baptized into Christ, are holy. The scriptures refer to us in the epistles as the holy ones. Saints, it's simply the holy ones. But you know, the early church also referred to the bread and wine of Eucharist as the holy things. 
So Christians were the holy people, the holy ones, and the bread and the wines were the holy things. Now in Greek and Latin, the word communion of saints, the exact words mean both things simultaneously. It means a communion of holy people and a communion in holy things. The exact same expression means both. The church has always understood it this way. So when we proclaim our belief in the communion of saints, we're proclaiming, just as Paul said, that because there is one bread, we who are many are one body because we all partake of the one bread. That is, in eating the one bread, God is transforming us into one body. The liturgy loves to remind us of this connection. Remember how at every Eucharist we say, the gifts of God for the people of God. That's actually a translation of Greek and Latin that simply says, holy for the holy. The holy things for the holy people. Holy things for the holy. Also, remember, every Eucharist, what we have is we have that special prayer for the Holy Spirit to make things holy. Sanctification means to make holy. And remember, it's a double prayer. It says, we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your Holy Spirit. Make them holy. Sanctify us also that we may faithfully participate. Always the two. We call for the Holy Spirit to come upon the bread on the elements, but also to come upon us. They cannot be separated. Now, at this point, you're probably saying to yourselves, wait a minute, I thought the communion of saints had something to do with all the saints across the ages. You're right. Because one of the beautiful truths of our faith is remember when Jesus talked to the Sadducees who denied a resurrection, and he said, you're wrong. You understand neither scriptures nor the power of God. Because he says, he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living, because all are alive to him. So this beautiful truth is not only that the Eucharist makes us one body, even as we participate in Christ's body, but that, that link is never broken across time and across space. That's why we say at the beginning, before the holy, 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 we say, therefore we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels, what else? And with all the company of heaven. We're saying that when we celebrate the Eucharist, not only are we celebrating not just here, with every Christian around the world, but Christians across time, and with every in the communion, remember that cloud of witnesses we hear about in Hebrews 12, 1. All of our beloved who are with the Lord now, we join with them at that altar, with all the saints across the ages, with all the angels of God. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. That's why in Eastern Orthodox churches, they have this almost wall of, of various icons of the various saints. It's reminding us we are not doing this alone. We, when we enter into the presence of God, we enter across time and across space. It's a communion that is never broken. So what does that mean for us today? Well, one profound truth is if Holy Communion joins us together, that bond is a fact whether we recognize it or not. God has done it. Whether we fail to recognize it is another thing. Remember Joseph when he was in, in, in Book of Genesis when he's in Egypt? His brothers thought he was dead, right? And they didn't actually recognize him. He spoke Egyptian. They didn't recognize him when they saw him. It was only later on that he says, I'm Joseph, your brother. He had never ceased to be their brother. 
right? He had never ceased. Their failure to recognize him did not change the fact he was always their brother. That's why we have a petition I love in the Lenten Eucharistic prayer we've been using. It says, remember, Lord, your one holy Catholic and apostolic church redeemed by the blood of your Christ. Reveal its unity. It doesn't say create its unity. It's already there because we eat the one bread. We drink the one cup. Reveal its unity. So unity is God's work. It's not ours. It's something we recognize rather than create. Our work is to recognize that fact and to live out its implications. Now, I promised at the beginning, how does this all tie with Jesus washing his apostles' feet at the Last Supper? Well, we read part of um, Paul's in the epistle today, and he talks about something that's haunted a lot of us over the years. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And a lot of people have been tormented by that verse at times. When I was a little boy, I remember once I really thought I somehow wasn't conscious enough. I was tormented. It was so bad, as I mentioned once before to you, that you know there were, with confession, there were sort of easy priests and hard priests. I went to the hard priest. I had to know. <laughs> so, so I went there and he told me, no, no, it's true that there are things we can do. If we are in unrepentant sin, if we come to the altar and harbor, willingly harbor anger and resentment against our... That's unworthy. That's true. We're not discerning the body, but there's something else. Actually, in the context of 1 Corinthians, Paul was talking not about people failing to discern Jesus in the elements. He was talking about something very different. The situation was, in the early church, people would have a common meal before they had the Eucharist. Sort of a potluck. And what had happened, there was much more distinction as far as incomes and things, is people didn't share. They shared just among their friends. And people would come and actually not have enough food. And other people were having seconds and thirds. They only shared with their friends. They were about to have Eucharist to share in the body, blood, and Christ, but they couldn't actually share a sandwich, so to speak, with a brother and sister in Christ. Maybe we aren't all that different sometimes if we are actually bumping over people to get to our friends at the Kiss of Peace. If we're just chatting with our friends at Res Cafe when people stand alone, maybe we're not all that different. But what does Paul say? He says, when you come together like that, he says, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating each one of you goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? and humiliate those who have nothing. What Paul is telling us here is he's not saying, oh, yes, we need to recognize Jesus in the bread and wine. But he's telling us we can't recognize him here and not recognize him there. We are fooling ourselves. We cannot recognize Jesus in the bread and wine and not recognize him in the brothers and sisters he died for. The apostle John makes a very similar point. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And the Lord Jesus told us himself on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother. 
then and come offer your gift. So we're warned not to receive the Eucharist if we fail to discern the body. But this isn't an intellectual thing. This is real. How do we actually put, what, what does it really mean to discern the body of Christ? I'm going to suggest there are four key things that will tell us that we really, are we really discerning the body of Christ? And this is where we come to Jesus in the washing of the feet. The first thing is to discern the body of Jesus and his church is to pour ourselves out in humble and unstinting service to our brothers and sisters. Remember, this is famous in Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Where he says, the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve. Mother Teresa beautifully said, you know, people talk about love, but she says, love has to be put into action. It's like where James talks about faith, he doesn't contrast faith and work if we look, he talks about there's live faith and dead faith. It has to be put into action. So to discern the body is to serve. It's to serve to pour ourselves like Christ for the people he died for, to pour ourselves. Then we recognize when we serve Christ and the people he died for. The second way we discern the body of Christ in his church is to exercise authority solely for service. You know, it's not in the church authority anywhere in our lives. It's not about validation or recognition. It's about service. If ever it's about anything else, it's tyranny. It's not real authority. All authority, without exception, whether a parent, whether a boss, whatever the authority is, any authority that's not used to serve is tyranny. It's not of God. This is what Jesus tells us tonight. Do you not understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, so so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash in another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Elsewhere he says, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever might be first among you must be your slave. Why a slave? A slave had no personal self-interest. Complete service, gained absolutely nothing from it. So the second thing, the first thing is service. second thing is whenever we're in authority to uniquely use whatever authority in any context solely to serve those who are in our charge. The third way we practically discern the body of Christ in his church is this is tough, is to have the humility to actually accept the service of others. You know, Peter, look at the beginning of the foot washing. Oh, no, Lord, not me. And then later on, he wanted more. Oh, then everything. We have to accept the service offered, whatever it is. No service too small. It takes real humility to be willing to be served as well. We cannot deny anyone the joy of service. As much as they offer, not demanding more, not taking less. The humility to actually accept the service giving us. No one can be denied the joy of serving. And finally, a fourth way we discern the body of Jesus and his church is to embrace the truth about our spiritual gifts. So often we say, why don't I have this other spiritual gift? This gift is not really working for me. Exactly. 
Paul tells us our spiritual gifts are always for the other. The gifts we need, the others have for us. That's how God joins together the body of Christ. Remember, it says here, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We have been given what others need. That's what our service is. Others have been given what we need. That's what it means to receive service. You know, to love Jesus is to love him in the very all-too-human guise of the church. You see, the church isn't some bodiless, platonic ideal. You know, we all know people who love humanity. They just don't like people. Well, sometimes we're that way about theology. We love the church, but we just can't stand. We go from church to church or have these problems. We're looking for, no, to love, to love Jesus is to love his actual body, the church, with all of its warts. Remember the church at Corinth. Talk about a church whose dirty laundry is out there for everyone to see. But how does Paul address it, even when he's scolding them? The church of God at Corinth. It did not cease to be Christ's body, the church. We're fooling ourselves. We cannot love the bridegroom and not love his bride. We cannot love Jesus and not love his real body, our brothers and sisters, the church. So how do we receive Holy Communion worthily? How do we discern the body of Christ? We discern it both in the bread and wine, absolutely, but also in our brothers and sisters all around us who are also equally the body of Christ. Christopher Wren one of the greatest British architects. He built, for example, the great Anglican Cathedral of London. He built that. And if you go to like Westminster Abbey, the great, uh, you know, Saint-Denis in Paris where the, where the kings are buried, the great people of state, they have these great tombs, monuments with statues and pillars and things. But Christopher Wren is actually buried at St. Paul's and you look in vain trying to find any statue or anything noteworthy. And if you look really hard, you find a simple plaque on the wall that says, if you seek his monument, look around you. If you seek his monument, look around you. So for us, too, who are seek to receive Holy Communion worthily, yes, let us recognize the living presence of the Lord Jesus in the bread and wine of Holy Communion. But also let's look around us and recognize the living presence of Jesus in his body, the church. Amen.